We're back to the Neil Haley Show in the Total Celebrity segment, and I am so excited to have this guest on the line. When you think about uh, the amazing things that he has done, uh, the same journey and career that I was on in a path, to, I, and I really have a lot to thank this man. So I'm excited to welcome to the program WWE Hall of Famer Mick Foley, author of Saint Mick, My Journey from Hardcore Legend to Santa's Jolly Elf. Mick, thanks for calling. How are you? Well, I appreciate it. It's nice to talk to you again after such a long time. Absolutely. And this is the quick story. I want to thank Mick Foley. He's the one that got me to where I am today as an entertainer and everything because he introduced me to Burt Prentice. He told me, hey, you know, you're working the indie circuit. You need to go and work six nights a week. He gave me the contact info to Burt Prentice, and I went on to that and did USWA and did a tour in Germany and really learned the entertainment business to where I am today in radio and entrepreneurship and everything. It's such a journey what pro wrestling brings. And Mick, your journey after we met, what an amazing one after you're running WCW to the WWE. Can you imagine that that was going to happen to you once you got to the WWF, your fame and how unbelievable a career no, you had? No, I, uh, yeah. I think I uh, right. exceeded <laughs> everyone's expectations in, including my own and uh yeah i did I, I did enjoy working for bert i mean uh you know there's a great 30 for 30 um um uh documentary about rick flair where they talk about uh all of his you know one hour matches i never actually went an hour but i did go 58 minutes in a small town in arkansas i was uh i personally took it as an insult that only 25 people showed up <laughs> and uh and I wanted every one of them to go home and tell their friends what they missed out on. And so I went 58 minutes with the Colorado kid in front of 25 people. Oh, my gosh. At the Jonesboro Sports Auditorium, I remember completely you telling that story. And then I, I, re- I had a run with the Colorado kid as well. Uh, yeah, and I watched that match. It was an unbelievable match, Mick. And uh, that's that's the kind of stuff that you like. You talk about with Ric Flair and where you start to where you come, and then with the WWF run, what an amazing run, Mick, for sure. What? There, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I hopefully one of the the uh, lessons I imparted to you is that it's not necessarily the size of the crowd that matters; it's the uh, impact you can have on the people there and the pride you take in performing. And that's one of the things that was really hammered home to me with these last six years of portraying this iconic, you know, uh, uh, figure of Santa Claus is that you have this chance to, you know, really make an impact on families' lives, especially uh, for kids, you know, who are, you know, going through a tough time. You know, you walk into a, like a, yeah. a sterile, miserable hospital room and you try to make it come alive and try to make it magical for the, for the few minutes you're in there. So tell me the story of why you thought to go ahead and be Santa's Jolly Elf. What was the reasoning for uh, this journey? <laughs> well, I was a year-round Christmas fanatic, and it was pretty well known in the wrestling community. That I, I was a guy who loved Christmas and celebrated it all year. And then in 2012, I had a chance to be part of a documentary called I Am Santa Claus. And I was kind of like the rookie who finally gets a chance. And like I'd done it for our troops overseas, but... Uh, you know, just done it in the same way other people did, which is put on a suit and a huge, you know, wig and beard. And uh, so this director wanted to know if I really wanted to, uh, you know, put myself into it and really see how I did, uh, you know, being the guy and not just a guy, you know, you know, 
pretending to be the guy. And you know there's a difference when you're performing, when you're yes. really feeling a role as opposed to just playing around. And uh, I found when I did it that uh, I, a lot of the same emotions that made me love performing in the ring came alive, and uh, there was very little chance of ending up in an emergency room because of these actions. And so it, uh, it quickly became something I look forward to all year round. Wow. And, and that's just an amazing thing. And so you loved it and you loved playing it and said, let's continue this in this, in this process. So tell me the book, why the book St. Mick, and then to tell the story and to tell about yourself in this, this journey. <laughs> well, you know, as a, as a wrestler yourself, you probably read a bunch of, uh, you know, autobiographies yes. and sometimes the guy looks back on a 40 year career and you go, hey, that's pretty good. But I never really got caught up in a moment. Like, no, he never made this, this guy didn't really make the moment come alive. And a lot of it's because the guys aren't writing their own books. You know, when I did mine in 99, it was almost unheard of for, you know, uh, an athlete or a wrestler or any type of celebrity to be writing their own book. And I'm proud to say that wrestlers have stepped up and started writing their own books in a way that, you know, other athletes have not and probably never will like i think if it's my book showed one thing it's like you can overcome you know technical deficiencies with you know with you know heart and emotion um and and so i had this like five-year journey and i knew that it was i knew there was a good story arc to it and i knew that i could tell stories and catch get people caught up in certain moments that i couldn't if i was looking back at 20 years in the red suit. And so I was like, you know, if I don't like this story now, I don't think I will. And I wanted to have it, I really wanted to have it for my children. You know, like, yeah, uh, sure. I struggled with the idea of whether to just publish this for about a hundred, you know, people, friends and family, or to try to put it out there. And, uh, a couple of key people, Stephanie McMahon being one of them convinced me that, uh, it might reach a wider audience, even if it's not the wrestling audience. Like over the over years, like I think people who may not, like, you know, be wrestling fans or even be familiar with what I did, will hear about this kind of offbeat, touching Christmas tale and uh, and 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 really enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely enjoy it for sure. And uh, and and talk about it. So tell us a little bit about. So you're telling this. What miracles, I guess, or not miracles, but amazing experiences you have been as Santa's uh, as Santa, like touching people's lives. Tell us some things. One one of the yeah, favorite stories. Well, you know, like, uh, there's this little boy I met uh, last year uh, at the cancer center on Long Island, and uh, he was so weary and exhausted that I thought I just wish I could be doing a better job in there. And I thought to myself, I don't even think he's going to remember this meeting but then i looked at his mom and she had tears just running down her face the idea that somebody was trying their best to make her son a little happier meant a lot to her so i asked her if they might like a christmas eve visit i gave her my email and like i had this great christmas eve you know it's four or five really wonderful visits oh, wow. and it was christmas day and the, the time in the suit had been really fulfilling but i hadn't heard from that family and so I called the hospital and I said the little boy had just been released late Christmas Eve. And uh, I asked, so I said, would you mind getting in touch with the family? And the family got back said they would love a visit but didn't want to bother me, you know, uh, on Christmas, you know, Christmas Day. And I said, well, please tell them there's no place I would rather be. And I just, uh, I likened it 
in the book to the time I spent with Jim Ross doing a, a really in-depth interview okay. where I was the character of Mankind, where I was like, you know, I was so into that character. Like, you couldn't yes. tell me I was not that guy. Like, I was that guy. And that's the way I felt when I was in that little boy's house. He'd undergone this, like, amazing transformation. He was filled with energy and it was one of the finest, you know, moments I've ever had, you know, as any character. And uh, I just I walked away from that visit, and I was just so thankful that I'd had that opportunity. And so uh, I feel really blessed to, uh, you know, I've been given the chance to wear the red suit and, uh, you know, to make a difference in, uh, in, uh, in some lives. All right, so everyone can pick up St. Mick, My Journey from Hardcore Legend to Santa's Jolly Elf. It's out now, but also for our Pittsburgh listeners, even though we're nationally syndicated, internationally syndicated, you're going to be at Mr. Small's Theater in Pittsburgh on June 28th uh, 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 to do a Q&A. So that's going to be exciting, right? Well, no, it was. No, no, it's not a Q&A. It's the 20 Years of Hell Tour. This is... Uh I'm going to bring that infamous evening alive. And uh, the great thing about Pittsburgh is it will be 20 years to the day. So it'll be June 28th, uh, 2018. And I'm going to, uh, you know, create that uh, show around that one match and try to make it come alive. And, uh, you know, you try to say every show is a special show, but obviously this is the one I'm looking forward to the most. And if people want to be part of it, uh, they can go to my website, realmcfoley.com and with a, push of a button be part of the action oh mick you're amazing man and it was a great it was great being a colleague of yours in the pro wrestling business it's great to see your journey as an entertainer in so many ways and and you just blow me away with your characters and what you're doing and everyone needs to pick up the book and thanks again for calling mick hey thanks for having me on take care man see ya thanks okay bye okay you're listening to neil haley's show and we'll be back in just a moment Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones, and I'm joined by my co-host, Neil Haley. Today's guest is Liz Waller. She's one of the stars on Bam Fam, the new reality TV show premiering on Amazon Prime this January. The show follows the power couple, Jason and Liz Waller, as well as their four kids, Hannah, Kenzie, London, and Christian, as they rebuild their billion-dollar empire all while dealing with the complex family dynamics, emotional struggles, and the relentless public scrutiny. Liz met Jason back in high school almost 28 years ago, and she has made a name for herself as well as an upcoming author, philanthropist, and a power mom. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. 
So that is a lot, first of all. Like uh, you've got yeah. four kids, you're, you know, you're running a company with your husband, you're putting out a book, like you have all this stuff, and then you're doing it on reality TV. So you're my first reality yeah. TV star. Uh, so I'm excited <laughs> to have you. But tell me first, you know, how you got to where you are today and and why you chose to do it publicly with the world. Yeah, so how we really got here is a little different. Um, my husband, we were doing solar for a long time um, and we did commercials while well, he did commercials for his solar company and um, did a lot of podcasts. He did a, a podcast of just kind of entrepreneurship and kind of helping people get to a better place in their business, um, struggles, other entrepreneurs um, that, you know, had built million dollar companies and sold them and different things. Um, and so one thing kind of led into another and, and the business got bigger and we started doing um, NFL stadiums and that type of thing. He really branded himself very well. Um, so as he kind of got bigger, people were more and more intrigued and he kind of had like a whole like little like look about himself. He had like platinum blonde hair and he's the loud guy. And so, um, you know, he just caught people's attention because he was the different one. So um, people would say like all the time being around us, they're like, how do you do that? And like, he's different when he comes home. Like he kind of checks himself out the door. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, one of those things, everybody was kind of intrigued by the family. So we were asked several times why he was still running solar. Hey, do you want to like do a reality show? And at the time, it just wasn't the time he was trying to take the company public. Um, and then some things happened with the parts, you know, um, they just weren't working that we got from Generac. So the company ended up folding and it went fast. And so then our life was really being scrutinized. And, um, and the public eye and different news articles and um, death threats and Facebook groups. And it was just a whole lot. So then, you know, we decided at that point, it's like, what do we have to lose? Let people understand who we really are and our family and our dynamic and that we're not something that people paint us to be, that we are actually good individuals. So that's kind of how we got into it this time of saying, you know what, let's do it. <laughs> that's great. So you mentioned, you know, when you started to get your, you know, your business got a, a following, right? And then you started, yeah. when it started collapsing, right? Everyone's always on your side cheering. It's kind of, you know, just everyday life. People cheer you on, but then when you're falling, no one wants to be there to catch you. Yeah. Um, so how did you deal with that? Because it, it's got to, you know, it's hard when it comes from your family and friends, but it has to be so much harder when it's coming from strangers who have no idea who you are. Yeah, that is the hardest part. Um, you know, people would tell me all the time, like, Liz, stop looking. And it's like, it's almost becomes addicting. You can't stop looking because it's hurting your soul so bad. And you're like, I'm not the person that they're painting us to be. Um, it's, it's almost like detrimental to your mental health. Um, you know, my kids would get bullied at school and um, friends that I had had for a long time looked at me with like a stink eye of like, you know, are you that person? No, we're not this person. Like the media only wants you to know what they want you to know. Um, and so it was really tough. A lot of dark days. Um, I already struggle with depression and anxiety. So when that started, the anxiety was unbearable. Um, not eating, not sleeping, terrified someone was going to come do something to our house because we had already had 
stuff done to us, to our cars, to our home, um, harassment out in public, harassment online, stalking. Um, it just goes on and on. So my kids were nervous and I just would always tell them, I'm like, you know, just please try to make sure you're watching your surroundings and, and be careful. But they felt stressed out. My son would get so much anxiety. He would start to throw up and we'd have to go to the ER. And they, those were a lot of times last year. So it's hard uh, mentally to go through these things. And then people would say, well, now why do you want to do a reality show? And again, it goes back to, I refuse to let people steal my light. And I want to show my children, do not let bullies win. Stand up for what you believe in. No matter, you can go back at home and go behind your doors and you can cry and you can breathe hard and you can go to yoga and you go to therapy. You can do whatever you need, but don't let those people win. That is the biggest thing of, of having accomplishments, um, you know, and having self-worth. Because if you lay in bed, and you do nothing, then you're going to feel like nothing. You're going to get more depressed. You're going to have more anxiety. Um, but that was several months of my life of having to talk myself off the ledge and say, you know what? I can do this. We do hard things. That's my biggest. That is like, I need to have a shirt made. Um, that is my slogan for the year. Um, I say that a lot. I say we do hard things and we can do this. So um, it was a it was a rough year. But, you know, as the year has gone on, it has gotten better. So it's, it's gotta be hard when, you know, cause I, you know, I have a depression, anxiety, and, you know, I struggled with that and it impacted my kids, but, but those were outside, there were no outside sources on top of yeah. that impacting my kids. So how did you, how did you maintain that strength to be able to support yourself and get the help that you need while also trying to protect your kids and support them? What did you do? maybe together as a family to, to make sure that, that you elevated your mental health? Yeah. So I have a very traumatic childhood. Um, so trauma is very like close to my heart. Of, it's very familiar. Um, you know, the biggest things I teach my kids is breathe, take two minutes, breathe, breathing is your best friend going outside, walking in the grass, barefoot, grounding yourself to the earth, um, sitting by yourself in a room and just listening to your body. Where is my body feeling anxious? Where is my body feeling scared? And really talking to them and saying, you know, I understand how you feel, but we can get through this. Like, what are you feeling in your body that's making you so nervous? Let's talk about it. Let's talk through it. Let's talk reality. You know, what are the true facts? What is our truth? Um, having lots of family dinners, like our family is super close. So family dinners are super important to us. We have a lot going on, but we always make time for each other. So we sit around, we laugh, we talk, um, and just spend time with each other, put our phones away um, and just hang out and say, what'd you do today? Like, how was your day? Um, you know, being involved in, and even doing sports, we do sports. My son plays football a lot. So even going to those games, we go as a family and we sit and you forget about the world because that's just innocent time of, and, and memories, memories are important. So we do take trips. Um, we try to do that a lot. Um, so, you know, the fundamental part of, 
you know, getting back to basics, I feel like are super important just from having trauma in my own life. Um, but self-care is important as being a parent and being a leader. Um, you know, even if you're having a bad day, you know, your kids can't be like the dog that you kick. So you have to take care of yourself, whether that's an Epsom salt bath, you know, just walking around the neighborhood, going outside. My biggest love is I go outside barefoot. That's the Southern girl in me. Um, I love to walk in the grass and just be with nature and to just, you know, feel the grass in my toes and just really take that in. And, you know, um, prayer, a lot of prayer, too. And just, you know, and, and friendship, I think too, even if you've made a stranger, um, I talk a lot to strangers. I actually like strangers sometimes because, you know, they don't know you and it's just like, hi, how are you doing today? Like, oh, you look beautiful. I try to tell other women too, like, you look really great today. I hope you're having a good day. And it's just funny, like how people open up to you and they just make you feel good and you have conversation and it's innocent. So, um, those are other ways that I think that I, I deal with, you know, depression and anxiety. That, so. You're talking my t- kind of language, all the things <laughs> that you do and, and also yeah. talking to strangers. I think it's really important. Even when I'm having a bad day, if I, if I go out of my comfort zone for the day yeah. and reach out and, and talk to a stranger and, and say something to make them smile, it changes my entire demeanor around yeah. as well. It just changes it my whole feelings for the day, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It's crazy. I I have a short story. I uh, was at the gas station just filling my car up. I never get gas. I hate gas. Um, and then I walked in the store and I kept feeling like this overwhelming feeling in my body of like, help this lady that's at the gas um, pump. You need to give her gas. I ignored it. Um, I go back to my car. I'm kind of fumbling in my car. She's still fumbling in hers. And I go, I walk up to the window. I go, please don't think I'm crazy. But like, I have an overwhelming feeling like, you know, like God speaking to me and saying that I need to help you today. Please don't be offended. I need to fill up your gas tank. And she started crying and she goes, I literally literally have $8 in my account. I was trying to figure out how I was going to fill up my gas tank. So she's thanking me. And all I can do is thank her. I'm like, you don't understand. I am so glad that I met you today and that I could help you. You're the blessing to me. I know I'm a blessing to you, but you are, you are truly a blessing to me. So um, it's crazy. It's just, you got to put yourself out there and do crazy things sometimes like, (laughs) you know, I think when we are silent um, people, you know, God does speak to us. I had a very, very similar experience just two weeks ago with uh, an Uber driver and I bought her groceries and it was the same thing. She was crying. She has a young kid at home and I don't know what it prompted. And I was having a a really bad day. Yeah. (laughs) But then you uh, felt great. Then you're just like, my day is so much better because you see the smile on someone else's face. And I love that feeling more than anything. That's wonderful. So tell us about your book. Um, you, it's, it says upcoming author. So are you, are, do you have something coming out and what prompted you to write a book? So I have about 10 chapters in, I am a big procrastinator when it comes to finishing because, um, it is very, um, it's very dark and deep for me because I don't want it to be a, a very shallow book that I feel like some books are. Um, when people talk about their childhood, sometimes people leave stuff out and I have a dark childhood. My, my dad went to prison when I was nine for 13 years and, um, 
I slept in a bathtub for about two years of my life. I was terrified to sleep in my room alone. Um, I, I have had so many traumatic things happen. I've, you know, I ran away from home all the time. I've tried to commit suicide several times. Um, you know, I've had an abortion when I was 15. I, I mean, I live with my grandmother, um, because my mom, we just didn't see eye to eye and, um, you know, married, obviously my high school sweetheart. And we've had lots of troubles in our marriage because when, you you know, when you meet someone young, you grow up together, you don't know what you're doing, even though you feel like, you know, all things when you're 18 years old, um, you don't. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted it to be very raw and almost a little bit dark because I wanted people to know that. You don't have to have alcohol addictions. You don't have to have drug addictions, um, you know, to fix that pain. Like if you honestly go and you seek help, and I know it's not for everybody, um, to each is their own. Um, but talking is the best medicine. Um, talking to people, letting people know how you feel, being open and honest, not keeping feelings in just because you don't want to hurt others. Um, and letting people know like you can make it. Like, it's okay. Like everyone has dark days and um, you can make it out. And I've had a lot. I still struggle to this day with depression. Like I said, with anxiety, um, I could be driving down the road and have a, a horrible panic attack. And at this point in my life, I understand what that is. But young children don't. They think they're dying. They feel like they're dying. They can't breathe. And maybe, you know, they don't have both parents or, you know, you have a single mom. Um, just trying to like, let everyone understand there's so many different angles to life and there's the kid's perspective. There's a, an adult perspective, you know, and helping understand those two kind of, you know, cause now I'm an adult and I'm like, I think back and I'm like, well, what would I have done if it was my child? Um, but it is, it's, it's a lot of, um, and it has some good times in there. I don't have all bad in my life and I'm <laughs> super grateful for my life. Um, but I'm also grateful for a lot of people that were in my life, like my grandmother. She saved my life. So, um, you know, I think, think if I can share that with others, I think that's a huge win for me and help one person, just one person. That would be great. You know, you know, we all we all say that right when we write books, because I, I published my memoirs as, uh, uh, as well with yeah. a lot of abuse uh, in my past. And. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. I said the same thing. Like I wasn't really sure who I was writing it for, but once I published it, like so many people came out and just yeah. started telling me about the skeletons in their closet and it just made it okay for them. And sorry, my dogs are wrestling. No, you're fine. <laughs> they just decided to have a wrestling match. Um, that's life. Uh, so um, they, so, uh, you know, so many people started coming out of the woodwork and now here it is, you know, four years later, um, or five years later, and I've helped more than one person. And it's just, yeah. it's so satisfying when, when you put your story out there, because I'm sure somebody out here is listening to your story and something you said resonated yeah. with them. And it's so powerful just talking, like you said, you know, our stories are so important and our, you know, just talking about it um, is healing for, for us. It is. It is. And it's, you know, and I think a lot of people that have been through trauma um, that helps heal your body, it, it, you know, you heal your soul by helping other people. Um, 
And if you don't have tons of trauma, you just don't understand. And so I love helping people. It's like the best medicine for me. I could take so many antidepressants and I'm still not going to get the feeling that I get when I help others. Um, and I would love to like not really work and just help people, you know, have <laughs> a big foundation and like people just come and, you know, I, I have other loves in my life. Um, even like the fentanyl, like problem that we have in the U S um, my daughter actually got accidentally, um, overdosed on fentanyl and, and died oh for, for a couple of minutes and came back. And so, um, my daughter now deals with tons of anxiety and, and, and a mental health issue, um, because that just happened this past summer. So I, I feel like I have many calls in my life and, um, that's why when we do these podcasts and stuff, I talk about all of them. If I can just throw them in and I, and we talk about it on the BAM fam and we talk about, it's like real and raw and it's super, um, it's, it's not comfortable, you know, it, it's, it's like very personal and people will always say bad things and that's okay. And like, I tell my kids, you have to talk about all those feelings because again, there's a, a girl out there that some, or a guy that have, you know, something has happened to them and now they're struggling. You know, my daughter would struggle to go into the grocery store. She didn't want to touch the gas pump at the gas station. She was terrified. Everything had fentanyl on it. Um, so now I have a whole new thing in our family where, you know, my daughter's afraid of everything. And so, you know, mental health is, is very close to my heart. Um, you know, it's, it's something that we don't talk about enough in the world and that, you know, I think a lot of people get shamed. And so that was one of the things on the BAM fam. Like, I want people to know, like, it is okay to have mental illness. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to have anxiety. Like you're not weird. You know, it's normal especially after the pandemic, I think a lot of people struggle and kids nowadays, social media, social bullying, there's so many things and all of those things are close to my heart. So that's one of my hopes with having the show is that I can do so much more than just be a family that's just on TV. And it's like, look what I have and look at, you know, my endorsements. And it's like, be like me. I don't want to be that way. I really want people to love us and understand us and understand what we do for a living. And we do um, have, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I flip homes as well, have four kids, have two grandkids that you can do all these things. Um, it's not easy, but we can do them mm -hmm. and we can do them together. I more than happy to, if people DM me, I will be your friend. I will listen. You need a person to talk to I'm there. So I think that's my biggest thing with this this um, show. I really want it to be more than just, you know, your typical reality show of, you know, the makeup, the hair, all the things. I want it to touch people's lives. And I want them to fall in love with our family and understand, like, we are we are very normal. And, you know, we it's a lot of hard work <laughs> where we are now. So um, that's that's my goal. So. I love it. And I like that you said normal because a lot of people that are struggling with mental health issues, they always think they're the only one, even yeah. though they know the stats, right? Even though they know that people have addictions or abuse or, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever the, the mental health issue is, but they, they still feel all alone, no matter how many times they've heard somebody tell a story, they feel all alone. So I think yeah. you're doing a great thing. I'm excited that you're sharing all of this on your reality show. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to watching it. Um, I have Amazon Prime. I don't have a television. Yeah. 
but I do have oh, Amazon Prime. Yeah. So I'm excited <laughs> that I will be able to watch it. And I think you're great. I love your energy. I love what you're Thank doing you. in life. And you have a great, really great and healthy perspective. I think it's Thank wonderful. You. Thank you. So where can where can people find you? Um, my Instagram, I'm horrible at social media. It's um, I actually need to look. It's Liz Waller27. Um, or the Bam Fam. We're on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Um, you know, Bam Fam gets updated a lot daily. So you see a lot of interactions with our family, a lot of stories, that type of thing. I'm not a huge poster. <laughs> um, but I do, you know, pay attention to other things. If somebody were to DM me, just even like ask for help. I'm here. I look. Um, but I'm just not a great, like, I don't put my stories out there. But Bam Fam for sure. Um, to check us out and follow us and ask questions, interact. We would love that. Um, different things they want to see or or whatever. Um, we're always open to that. So, yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's really yeah, great to have you. you here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Anytime. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Women CEO in Reflection. To reach out to one of our guests, their contact is in the description of the show. Do you want a total mindset transformation? Apply to Mindset Warrior, The Art of Intentional Thinking, my personal coaching boot camp at IamAMindsetWarrior.com and schedule your call with me today. Thank you. We're back to Neil Haley Show and excited first to welcome my co-host, Paul Hollis, author of the Hollow Man series. And I know you're excited about this book. One of the newest books in the uh, Hollow Man Publishing that you published. Who is our guest today? Well, I'm I'm uh, really excited. Uh, we have a great uh, uh, new author on the scene today, and you're going to hear a lot more about this guy because he's really good. And as Bill Nelson, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Hey, Bill. Okay, so you are the author of Blood and Fire. Uh, I can't wait to talk about the book without giving all of it away. But tell me a little bit about your background and why you decided to write this book. Well, uh, I, I was really inspired by uh, a lot of uh, the work that um, went into making a Yellowstone. And uh, and I thought, well, but I, I'm not a rancher. I don't live in Montana. I can't, you know, I can't write about that. But what do I what, what do I know? What can I, I write? And so my father was a commercial sea captain, and uh, a lot of his friends were were captains and or fishermen, uh, and ran commercial fishing enterprises along the Gulf Coast here between High Island, Texas, and Corpus Christi. And uh, being uh, with my dad a lot, I was exposed to a lot of those guys growing up and listened to their stories and heard them talk about their way of life. And I spent a lot of time on the water with my dad. My dad taught me how to sail. Uh, the boat that I have now was my dad's sailboat. So it's the same boat that I learned how to sail on. And it's also the boat that I taught my children how to sail. And uh, so it's, it's a you know, multi-generational vehicle for us. And uh, a lot of memories and, and, and all of that. But just growing up here, you know, along the Galveston Bay Shore and uh, splitting time between my mother's house in the city and my dad's house on the Bay Shore, I, I really was acclimated to both worlds, the 
you know, the big inner city, you know, high rise concrete and, and glass metropolis. And then, uh, you know, the, the more coastal uh, culture that's a, a lot about boats and the ocean and fishing and surfing and uh, diving. And then there's the bar scene and the live music scene and the restaurant scene. And the, the culture along the Bayshore is really, really colorful. And I think I, I captured a lot of that in the book. And uh, so that is uh, kind of the the backdrop or the setting for the book came out of, you know, my own my own personal experiences. So you must love the water then. I do. Yeah, I'm absolutely a coastal person, uh, very much um, uh, a man of the sea or certainly my father was and uh you know my my dad was born and raised in bergen norway and moved to texas to operate tankers in the gulf of mexico and then uh that's how i i you know came to be and wound up growing up here and uh, on the uh the texas gulf coast and in, in houston galveston area and um uh, and yeah i have that i have that salt water in my blood for sure all right, so let's kind of talk about the book by well, not giving away the book, by just the, why people should read it first of all. Why should they read the book? Well, you know what the book is really about. It's really about duality. It's really about that all people have the capability to do very bad things and very good things. And uh, the protagonist of the book is certainly that person. He has this alter ego that is very cold and calculating and capable of doing really hard and, and nasty things. But then he's also capable of turning around and being a good father and, and uh, a good partner and taking care of the people around him and, and being very generous. And, and I think it's, it's uh, symbolic of the fact that, you know, most people have that capability to be on either end of the spectrum in the same lifetime. So that's what the book is really about. Um, but within that, there is, you know, a lot about boats and fishing, but there's also a conflict uh, between the family that, that runs a, a large commercial fishing concern and uh, a, uh, a cartel organization that winds up getting bloody and, and, uh, there's a lot of, uh, of kind of warfare going on between the family and the cartel. And, um, that's kind of really what the book is about. Oh, I mean, absolutely. It's something that, uh, you, you, with just talking about the fishing life, do these things that you write about really take place on the Gulf? Well, certainly all of the fishing aspects of it definitely take place. The uh, uh, the, the cartel aspect of it, the, the conflict side of it certainly could. Uh, and it has in some cases, uh, you know, some uh, sailing yachts have been boarded off the coast of Mexico and confiscated and, and people were disappeared. And there is a there is piracy uh, that occurs uh, quite a bit around Yucatan Peninsula, uh, you know, between Merida and Cancun. And you have to be, if you're ever sailing in that part of the Gulf, you got to be on your toes. 
Okay. Um, so the, so you'd be on your toes. So the it's big business, right? So where you're in the golf, it's big business, isn't it? The fishing world and all that. Yeah. You know, the, the fisheries in the Gulf are some of the largest fisheries in the world. You know, for example, uh, just in Galveston Bay alone, Galveston Bay supplies one third of all the oysters in the Western hemisphere. So, uh, so the uh, the amount of commerce that you know between Corpus and and uh, and you know the the mouth of the Sabine River that that amount of you know you're really talking about hundreds of tons of seafood that come out of the Gulf every day and uh, you know for example. HEB uh, grocery stores, which is a, a really important and, and, and famous brand in, in Texas, uh, they run 80 boats uh, all by themselves that actually belong to the grocery store chain to supply the seafood for all of their stores. So, and they're just they're just one operator out of many. So there are, are literally uh, hundreds of tons of seafood that come out of the Gulf every day. It's worth a lot of money. No, it definitely does seem like it's so it's that's where a cartel is involved. There's big people that are in big business to look at this uh, area. And it definitely feeds into stuff. Like you said, uh, Yellowstone on the river. I mean, on on, on the Gulf is got to be something really cool in so many ways. And there's love stories and there's all these different things in your book. If I would read right now, you know, specifically enough, if I go to your Facebook page, again, everyone needs a like Bill Nelson author, uh, Will Sorensen, a third generation sea captain, successful fish fishing magnate on the, on the Texas Gulf coast has his life interrupted by piracy, betrayal and murder. And he kind of, as we talked about on this interview, Bill, uh, he really screws up, right? His ego gets to him in certain ways, right? Well, yeah, he certainly gets in over his head a little bit. He gets over his skis. And uh, he's, he's, you know, very blithe about jumping into situations that where he's not really that capable uh, and, uh, it gets messy. Yeah, that definitely seems like it get, he gets messy in different ways. And how much does the main character remind you of yourself? Well, not so much of, it doesn't really remind me that much of myself, but he does remind me of my dad. Mm-hmm. There, there are certain things about him that are very similar to my dad. My dad was definitely, uh, the dark and the light. Uh, you know, he had that cold Norwegian um, European thing going on, and he could be very calculating and pragmatic and and very unfeeling. Uh, and he and he was not a, a person that that um, you know he had a very short fuse, and uh, he he suffered no foolishness ever. And uh, but on the other hand, you know, my dad really loved me, you know, and. And he let me know that and, and and communicated that to me. So while he was a very intimidating figure, um, you know, somebody that would literally go for days at a time without saying a word to anyone. 
that's see, really I, who you I, are. I, and, and I totally see that. And that's got to feel good to write the story. And this is just the beginning of this, right? There's going to be more of the series, right? Not just this first yeah. episode, first run. I'm already, right? I'm already working on book two right now. I see. That's exciting. And how much is that passion? Because you know what? I there was a there was a thing out here, Bill. Congratulations on your first book. There are ninety percent of people that want to write books, and only ten percent have written them. Can you imagine that? In the United States right, right now, ninety percent of people that want to write books, if we go and take a, a poll, only ten percent write them. So you've really hit. You've really made it through, and now it's time to write another one. Right, and I'm already busy at work on that. Um, yeah, I had a, a friend of mine in LA who's an author said the same thing to me. He said, you know, that a lot of people talk about writing books. Very few people ever actually do. Yeah, I'm one of them. Paul, you know that, right? And But my, my New York Times bestselling book is in the works someday. But I probably will have an ebook out very soon about how to grow to the following what I do with my clients. That's probably in the works a lot earlier than my memoir that, Bill, I'm still only starting to write that memoir, meaning I got to finish that memoir before in real life, writing my own story before <laughs> I go ahead and do it. And this is what's fun about you is you get to create these amazing stories. Uh, and hopefully it'll be a movie someday work. Okay. Now people can get pre-orders right now. The book will be out on January 31st, but where can people go to find information on your book? The best place is probably go check out your Facebook, your personal Facebook page, right? Yeah, my first uh, uh, personal Facebook page is just Bill Nelson. Um, you know, my face is on it, so big bald guy, hard to miss. Um, but there's a lot of Bill Nelson, so Bill Nelson author has just been put up. They can also like that. There's going to right. be a fans of Bill Nelson authors uh, Facebook group as well. We're going to share stories and get the behind the scenes looks. So be ready, and the next week when we talk. We'll have more information for your fans. Okay. Sounds great. Appreciate it, Bill. Thanks, Paul. Uh, you're listening and watching Thank the Neil you. Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Author's Corner, another podcast for Frank Fiore. Frank, how are you? You know, because you've written more than just Western books. You've written many different books. You're a best-selling author, and you're really excited about our guest today. Yep. Pretty good. Hi, Neil. I'm doing really well. And like you said, I have written both nonfiction and fiction books. And uh, we're enjoying our beautiful snowy weather here in Prescott. <laughs> okay. I, and and I'm we, not far from you. I'm in Sedona. Oh, my gosh. You are. You're just a couple hours away. <laughs> Did you get a lot of snow up there? No, we got just a touch. It flurried, but it didn't really stick. Yeah, I know. It's always warmer in Sedona for some reason. I don't know why, but it is. Uh, must be all that psychic energy, right? <laughs> all the anyway, so, well, we, we welcome you to the show and uh, give you a little background. Uh, you have autoimmune disease, it says here. You've eliminated toxins in your life and you learn how to eat the, eat the rainbow. And so we want to get a little bigger background on you. So, so tell us, so tell us about your background, uh, wh wh where you are, where you've been and where you want to go. 
I I had my own business. I was designing jewelry for big box jewelers like Macy's and JCPenney (laughs) and Kohl's. And I was doing everything to make my business successful, except take care of me. And my body started talking to me and I was ignoring it. It went through my brain with the speed of light that all kinds of little symptoms were popping up and I just pushed through them. I was traveling all over the world to do what I was doing. And then I was in Los Angeles, so I kept getting on planes to go to the East Coast to my customer. Well, one morning I woke up and I couldn't get out of bed because everything in my body hurt. And I went to the doctor. I thought maybe it was the flu. We ran four rounds of tests and my conventional doctor came back and said, guess what? There's nothing wrong with you. But I want you to seek mental therapy. And I went, that's ridiculous. Something is very wrong with my body and I'm going to find it. So I had a very well-trained staff. I turned my business over to them and I dug in without having a clue what I was even looking for. I tripped in what's called the functional medical community. And they were running 19 symposiums with multiple doctors. And what caught my attention first was they all got sick and couldn't help themselves. So they started talking about why they went on for additional education and functional medicine, which looks at the entire body, not just at one body um, system. And I started making notes. I wrote down that I probably had something called toxic load. I wrote down that I probably had autoimmune disease. And then I started making notes about what I was going to do about it. So I knew my cortisol was so low, it was almost to Addison's disease. So I knew I had to start with stress. So I started taking yoga classes and learning three to four minute stress exercises that I could do throughout the day to let the top off by stress, because we all have stress, but chronic stress impacts every organ in the body. So that's where I started. Being from California, we'd had GMO on the ballot, and I had no clue what it was, and it failed. So then I dug into food. I was shocked that GMO meant that food was actually grown with something called BT toxin right in it, which was poisoning us or was being completely doused in glyphosate, which is Roundup, which we now know causes cancer. So I started looking into why I needed to eat organic and learning everything I could about food and changed my diet. Being in California had great farmer's markets. So I was getting produce at the farmer's market on Saturday that was picked the night before, which is when it has all the phytonutrients that we need to function. And ultra-processed food not only has all the chemicals of the pesticides and the herbicides in it, but most of the ingredients are synthetic and the body can't use them. So I stopped eating any processed food at all. And then the third thing I did, there's a site called ewg.org that lists how many toxins are in all the products we use. And I started systematically eliminating all the things in my life that were heavy with toxins. I was shocked. First thing I looked up was my French makeup. It was a nine on a 10 point scale. I literally was poisoning myself right through my skin. So it took me five years on my own, but I started to return to wellness and I started to function really well. And I decided, because I was getting into conversations with other people everywhere, that I was going to go back to school at 67 to become a coach, a health coach, so that I had some credential 
my degree is in English. So I went back to school. I became a health coach, um, hung up my shingle. And as I graduated from health coach school, they asked if I would like to write a book. I did. That's where I used my English background. And my first book, which is called It Feels Good to Feel Good, has won 17 awards. And it really launched me in my coaching career. And I work with people not only with chronic illness, but I want to catch people before they get into the pit that I was in so that they don't have to climb back out. So when I'm working with entrepreneurs, my point is you can't be great if you don't feel great. So start paying attention to all the self-care things you're not paying attention to now that I wasn't paying attention to because it's a hard climb out. But if you do it all along, not only does it improve your business life because you have more brain power, you have better relationships, food is directly related to depression and mood. So you're a lot more fun to be around for your customers and your employees. So if you don't take care of yourself, you can't be as great as you want to be. 100%. And I wanted to talk about fibromyalgia. So that's what you were diagnosed with after the whole process? Five years later, yeah. I finally went to a functional doctor and we she immediately said, I know what's wrong with you. You've got fibromyalgia. And I had had mono as in my 20s. And people who get that, it's called Epstein-Barr, often get fibromyalgia. I didn't know any of that stuff. So it was really, and she immediately started looking at my whole body and putting all the missing puzzle pieces into place for my health. So it was fabulous. So your health is your wealth. And here's the bottom line is if you don't feel healthy, two two year, two plus years ago, I uh, separated from my, my now ex-wife and my health was in absolute terrible shape. And I went and started to get healthier, working out, but also eating right, understanding what's in my body, understanding what it feels like. And the more that I eat healthy, and exercise, the better I feel, the less pain. I, I saw it the same way. I worked the candle both ends, didn't ignore my body, constantly ignored my body. Yeah, my body and when I ignore my body, it's just what's happening is your health is deteriorating to the point where you're going to be able to, you're going to be, your health is going to be in shambles. Well, I did that. That again, people say I look like five, 10 years younger than I did mm-hmm. when I, uh, two to three years ago, because I saw how important it is to stay healthy, to eat. I'm big into intermittent fasting. I intermittent fast a lot. I don't eat a lot till maybe dinner sometimes. And some days I can just go 12 hours without eating. And it really helps the process. And when I eat the right foods, I know when they're right. I've gone gluten-free before. I've gone gluten-free before and it was the best thing. So Frank, I'm going to pass it on to you for another question, but I wanted to talk about how important that is an entrepreneur, especially we're going to live to 100, 120, 130 down the line, the next generation of people. If they don't take care of their health, they're not going to, and they're going to be in a nursing home or an assisted living, and they're going to basically be stuck to a machine or in a bed. There goes my point. Yeah, you're, You're so right, Neil. I mean, with the advancements in medicine, people, and if they take care of themselves, just like what you're saying, there's no reason why you can't live past 100. And if the generation now coming up, this young generation or people under 50 or people under 40 or even in the 30s, uh, right now is the time for them to start getting control of their health because they will live to 100, up to, to, up to 100. question is, is it going to be a healthy, enjoyable 100 or is it going to be a miserable one and you're going to be bedridden? 
So yes, so yes, so Cheryl is absolutely correct. You have to get control of your health, and you have to realize that you can live. You know, we can live long and live healthy and happy. I want to ask you something, uh, Cheryl. What do you What do you think are the three most important lifestyle hard habits to promote the success uh, in your life, and what are the advantages adopting to them? Um, I actually have 20 pillars of health. If there was one more that I would add to the three I just mentioned, it absolutely is movement. There's a lot of research being done that movement is as important as what we're feeding our body because those are the things that give us the energy to sustain our little energy centers, which are the mitochondria in the cells. But getting seven plus hours of sleep at night, that last hour is what sweeps the plaque out of your brain so you don't get dementia. And I had my 75th birthday yesterday and I don't wanna go to dementia. So all these things are important to put into place. And one of them is community. If you surround yourself with other people with healthy habits, you have a much better chance of being healthy. And the Blue Zone study, which is the people who live the longest and the healthiest in the world has come to the conclusion that community is number one for health. So if you're around people with lousy lifestyle habits, you probably are going to have lousy lifestyle habits. So community is also incredibly important. People sort of move towards us. I actually went, look, the guy I was with didn't want to change. So I went looking for somebody to go on a uh, get well journey with me. And I married him eight years ago. So we've done this together. I lost 65 pounds without dieting. He lost 80. But we feel fantastic. And our friends all thought we were crazy. But as we would cook for them and have them over, they all began to move towards us because they saw how good we looked and how good we felt. And they wanted some of that too. So we've sort of created our own community by not Going away from our habits, they're non-negotiable, but people move towards us that are in our life, which was fun. That's fantastic. And, you know, people say, you know, I just turned 51, Cheryl, so, and I have the energy of a 30, 25 and the way I work and the way I'm able to go and then energy to keep going. But I know it's eating because if I eat some terrible foods, I'm tired and I want to go to sleep. So if I eat foods like, you know, a big, big meal, I feel it. I feel inside. I feel it in every way. But the challenges is to eat healthy, you know, having kombuchas every day, having a nice fresh salad, eating the right vegetables, eating meals, but very smaller meals, many meals a day. And being able to do that, it takes a lot of work. It's not easy. It's easier to go to the fast food route. It's easier to go to the processed food route. You really have to put the effort in and set yourself up to do that. And you're right. Being around people with that same lifestyle makes it much easier than being around people that are not. And it's, I can cook a meal if I have the right ingredients and food quality matters faster than I can get in the car and go for fast food. It's a mindset shift. If it's important to you, you figure out how to do it. And most restaurants are serving the same, what I call crap, which is carbonated, refined, artificial, and processed, as you're buying in the boxes at the grocery store. So I also have learned to vet my restaurants. I call, I talk to the chef before I go there to make sure he can feed me because it's not negotiable that I'm going to eat healthy food. But it's doable. Um, And if you set your mind to it, that it's not negotiable, and you're more important than putting that stuff into your body, it is more than doable. 
So, and if I don't eat right, oh my God, my body complains immediately. I have a conversation every morning with my body. I ask it, how is it doing? I tell it that I love it. And then I ask it, how does it feel? And if it's off in any way, I react to those symptoms immediately because symptoms are the language it speaks. So I'm not going back. I listen to my body very carefully. And this is what I teach to people that I work with. Once you start to feel great, you're not willing to give it up. So you got to go through the period of time. And and people who take my Ditch the Standard American Diet class start to notice the difference within four weeks. They don't go all the way back to health because how many years did it take them to get where they're at? But they can feel the difference and they break the addiction to sugar and chemicals. And it's huge. That's great. That's rather that's some good information and uh, good advice. And the people that you coach, uh, I, I bet you they're very happy with the results. I get incredible testimonials. <laughs> people who.